0: Welcome to the CETL Pie Podcast. This is the place where we get to peek into excellence in teaching and learning at Madison College by connecting with and learning from our colleagues. I'm your host, Jessica Fegestead. Welcome to our second episode of the CETL Pie Podcast, where we peek into excellence with CETL. I'm excited today to have two of our esteemed faculty from our IT department with me who have been on a journey on equitable grading um, through the last year and a half or so. And um, they've been helping us in Seattle out with some equitable grading initiatives and have been on their own journey as well. So I'm excited to be able to interview you and share all, everything that you've learned. So welcome, Paula and Carrie.
1: Thanks, Jessica. Um, My name is Paula Waite. As Jessica mentioned, I teach in the IT department, mostly focused on web software development, um, and specifically Java programming. Um, I've been teaching at Madison College uh, since 2014, so I'm just finishing up my ninth year.
0: Nine years already. Does that time just fly by? It does
2: go really fast, yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, welcome. Thanks for for joining us today. Thanks for having me.
2: Um, My name is Carrie Diggs. I also teach in the IT department. Uh, I teach some programming classes, uh, UI/UX, web accessibility, website development. Um, I've been here for six years, and um, again, time has flown by. I feel like I just got here. Um, And other than that, I raise chickens, so I always share chicken posts with my students. (laughs) It gets a lot of laughs. Um, We just had our chickens carve pumpkins this weekend. Oh my goodness. That sounds awesome. I need to see pictures of that. It's awesome. Well,
0: I know this is not a baking and decorative arts podcast, but um, it is the pie podcast. So I need to know, first of all, Carrie, what is your favorite
2: kind of pie? I'm going to go with key lime. Key lime. Key lime. I like the sweet and the tart with a little bit of coffee on the side.
0: Nice. Nice. Yes. When I go to Florida, that's like my go-to dessert for sure. Yeah. How about you, Paula?
1: Um, I was going to say whatever pie you're serving, but now (laughs) I look around the room and there is no pie here, folks, at all. Um, So my mom's apple pie is, is... phenomenal that's my go-to and I have the recipe I try to make it I don't think she has a secret ingredient that she's withholding but it never tastes the same
2: Mm no no what kind of apples
1: Uh, She usually uses a Macintosh Uh, and maybe that's not, maybe that's the secret ingredient. Maybe she's not really telling me what apples she's
0: using. (laughs) That could be, that could be. No, I owe, I owe you pies. So now I know what your favorites are. So now I owe you, I owe you a slice of pie. So no, we can't have chewing and podcast interviews at the same time. I kind of figured it might be a little awkward. Uh, Well, thanks for that. And um, I, I, as I said, I brought you in today to talk about uh, equitable grading and it's, it's, it's a big topic. It's a hot topic at our college and in education overall. And I'm curious, what brought you into this this topic? How did you become aware of it? How did you even um, get involved?
1: Yeah. So um, we had a book club in the IT department. A few of us that read um, Ibr- Ibram Kendi's book, "How to Be an Anti Racist," in like fall of 2020, I think. And then we read Isabel Wilkerson's book, um, "Cast." And I think that set, at least set me up for this desire to try to, to change my teaching practice, right? I realized there's all this inequity, and what can I actually do? And those books weren't, you know, just teaching specific, right? And then the book club for Grading for Equity came out, and so our group read that book as well. And all of a sudden, there was, like, practical ways that I could change my practice. And so that really was the instigator to, to really get me thinking about my teaching practice and making some changes right away.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, same. I was in all those same book clubs with Paula and it, it it just opened my mind to the fact that there's just so much work that still needs to be done and trying to find out like what can I do? What small changes can I make in my little world to have some kind of impact um, with the people that I interact with? And before... Even starting that book club with uh, um, equitable grading, I I didn't even know it as a concept. I went into it completely, completely blind, and actually quite blown away with some of the things that were discussed in that book.
0: Yeah, absolutely, it can be really eye opening. And and thinking about all the things that we've been doing, kind of handed down to us from other faculty that you know are just traditional ways of, of grading and assessing students, and now he, here we have some new ideas of things that we can change and adapt.
2: Yeah, I'd never questioned grading before. It was just like, this is how you grade. You know, this is what you do. You count up the points, you divide by total, and then you slap the score on the paper, right? Because that's what was done to me. So I had never even questioned it before um, picking up that book.
0: So when you look at the the Grading for Equity book by by Joe Feldman, that's the book that we're talking about, The there's some basic principles in it that um, that he outlines. And I'm wondering if you can just give us some of the really high-level overview of what those
2: are. So the the three pillars are accuracy, uh, bias-resistant, and motivational. Um, And the book obviously goes into great detail on all three of those pillars. But what I took away from it was, for me, accuracy is where I always had this kind of gut check at the end of the semester. Like, does my student Uh, deserve this grade, or and sometimes the math didn't work out. I was kind of feeling like I need to hack a point here and there because they really need that A or they deserve that A or I know they understand this material, or even sometimes the opposite. And so the accuracy talks about how we can make um, the grade really represent their learning. And that meant maybe taking out grading behaviors and really focusing on... um, assessing what the actual outcomes for the course were supposed to be. The the bias-resistant um, means that I am focusing on the student's learning specifically and caring less about how the student gets there. So does that mean that they're late for homework sometimes? Sure, but if they got the material, then that's what I'm caring about. I'm not caring about some of that behavior stuff. Um, motivational is... Creating an atmosphere that leads to a growth mindset, um, fostering an atmosphere where students feel safe to make mistakes. Um, they're there to practice, to learn, um, to come to me, and feel like there's an environment where we have kind of an open community and relationship to to learn and experiment.
0: Absolutely. That, now that book has a kind of a K twelve lens to it. How how did you take that and and make it something that you you could adapt to what you are doing in higher education at our institution
1: yeah that's a good question um and i i think that could be a stumbling block maybe not a block but i think it could trip a few folks right because you're like this i'm not teaching in the k-12 through 12 environment um, i think being part of the book club really helped us kind of work through that because we could talk about it like okay that's in the K through 12 environment. How does that apply to all of us? And so, just you know, putting a different lens on it and having colleagues to talk through that, I think, kind of made a big difference for us. Um, I didn't find it really, you know, prohibited me from like making progress through the book and understanding it. But it's definitely something to consider. Like we're not the same, and that too, even higher education, right? Community college is different than university. So a lot of times we're looking at resources where we don't necessarily fit with exactly. The institution that the author's talking about, but it, the big concepts still definitely apply.
0: Absolutely. And I think sometimes, too, even here at our college, we have to look at program to program, department to, to, to department, how things might be different depending upon um, what kind of industry you're, you're training your students to go into or are they going to transfer to the university. Um, so so there's definitely things to unpack in that book. It's, it's not something you can just read and totally run with.
2: Yeah, I definitely left with more questions. Um, I mean, it was a book that opened up a lot of questions, I should say, you know, and I'm still on (laughs) trying to figure out the answers to that, and I don't think I ever will, but it opened my mind up to different possibilities for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And I know that both of you have made changes to your courses because of that book and all the other um, reading and research that you've that you've done. So I'm curious um, what kinds of changes you've made that you feel like um, have been impactful in your courses and and now that you've done some of this this learning about equitable grading.
2: Well, at first, I have to say, I was a little bit. Overwhelmed, right? I left that book with so many questions, and I kind of left feeling like I don't know where to start. I didn't um, know—is any of this stuff possible? (laughs) This is going to take a lot of work. can I just make changes in my course? Is that even allowed? You know, there was a lot of questions that I had to work out, and so I really tried to start with something simple. And the first thing I did was change my syllabus, and I tried to make a much more welcoming, inclusive uh, syllabi that communicated the environment I wanted to create. So in my syllabus, I stressed that the importance of making mistakes. And um, I, I tweaked some of my policies to support that, so uh, f- formative assessments you can retake, right? Uh, That helped support the fact that not doing it perfect the first time around is absolutely okay. And then I also, because it was a quick change for me to make, was just taking out late penalties. Um, That was just something really simple. It didn't take like having to rewrite the whole course to do. And um, that was kind of scary for me because I thought um, I'm going to get a ton of stuff to grade at the end of, you know, the, the unit or the module. And I was pleasantly surprised that that wasn't the case. And because people could take time to turn in their work, I saw the quality of work go up. Same because of the redos. Like, if they didn't get it right the first time and they just needed another chance to go through the material, then the, the, time, the time they spent on that was worth it in the long run. And overall, they, they performed well. Uh, Better in the course is what my experience has been so far.
0: Is that how you structured it where you allow for some flexibility up to a point in your course, kind of by topic unit you, you
2: mentioned, yeah. and then kind of again that cycle starts over? Yeah. I mean I definitely I took the what I had as two dates and I changed the language to be best by dates. And most of my students still turn all their work in by that, you know quote unquote, best by date. Um, so there's still a path to success. There's still checkpoints. And then once we wrap up that unit, I kind of have a hard date. Like this is where you need to be at this point. If they don't turn stuff in, I still don't penalize them, but it's a cue to me that, okay, if you didn't, we need to meet. And so then I, I definitely set up a time to meet with that student. Where are you going in this class? What do you need so you can get it in? Um, and it helps them stay on track as well, as opposed to just falling more and more behind. Right. That's
0: a really common concern that I that I hear about um, allowing for late work or late work without penalty is, you know, how do we keep the students still on track be- and not get them falling behind and, and kind of abusing that um, policy, if you will. Paula, how about you? You
1: know, I have to echo the late penalty Um concept i it was the first thing that i did because it was easy it didn't require a lot of changes i mean it's easy to just update the syllabus right i can just remove that penalty and explain to the students you can turn the work in late so it was it was an easy thing to change and interestingly enough i had a conversation with a student last week i'm curious like how is this affecting things right and you you do worry about am i going to get this boatload of work at the end of the semester that i now have to grade i haven't found that to be the case um but i was talking to a student um about you know the semester he's in his fourth semester getting ready to graduate and I, i mentioned something about the late penalty and he said you know that has saved me and he said the last three Java courses that he had, he didn't have um, late penalties. And he's like, I'm I'm late a lot. I'm like, yeah, I know you are. <laughs> but he's not late. He, he's late because it just takes him a little bit longer every time, right? Just a little bit longer. But he gets it. He knows the material. But it's just coming in late. And, you know, he shared that he thinks he probably wouldn't be graduating right now if that weren't the case. He was able to finish on time because... He had that flexibility. So that right there, I'm like, that's it. That's the one student. Even if it only affected one student, it was worth it. Um, but I think that's the story for a lot of them. And I've had really good feedback on the late penalty and not having it. Um, another change that I made was removing points for the homework. And that one made me really nervous. There's a lot in the book about you know not giving zeros and, and different you know numbering systems. I'm like, too complicated. I'm just going to get rid of the points for the formative stuff. And that has been really freeing for me, um, not having to kind of nitpick on the points um, in the end. And, you know, it's, it's practice. And really selling that idea of that homework, the formative assessments being for practice, um, I think, lets the students know it's okay to, to make those mistakes, turn it in, get some feedback, and redo it. So... Um, again, allowing the redos, that's been really important as well. So those were the two big changes that I made right up front and, and have stuck with. They've, they've gone really well. The quality of the work is better when it comes in the first time. That's huge, um, and it really allows me just to focus on the feedback, which is going to help the learners grow.
0: Which the feedback part of grading is what most of us actually enjoy doing because that's why we got here as teachers to begin with, is we wanted to help people along their journey get better at what they want to do, help them graduate. The actual, like, is this a ninety-seven or a ninety-eight or a ninety-seven point five part? That's not a lot of people's favorite part of of grading, as far as I've I've heard. There's probably someone out there that likes that, but not most people. So, you know, it makes sense to me to to be able to take that aspect out and really focus on on what you're here, what your job is, you know, what the heart of teaching is all
2: about. Yeah, it it, it
1: makes giving feedback a lot more fun, like not sweating those details for sure.
2: And I think when students see a number, they look at the number and then move on. And sometimes I've had students that have never looked at my feedback because they saw the number and then they just take the meaning, whatever that meaning is for them, with them and they move on. If that's removed and they just see feedback or, you know, and Paula, you have, you do give like... um, I know a little bit about what Paula has changed, but instead of points, you kind of give like an E or an M. Um, She uses a different scale so students know where they're falling. It's just a different method of communication.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's an E, M, R, or N. So E, meaning they've exceeded the standard, meets the standard, R, probably needs to be reworked a little bit, redo or... And it hasn't been turned in, right? It's not submitted. So, and that—that's just a letter. It doesn't really tell them too much. They have to look at that feedback in order to know, okay, how am I going to improve that R?
0: Yeah, and it—it's not like, oh, that one one equates to an A or B or C because that's not rolling into their grade. They're just getting that as a as a feedback measure.
1: Exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. and and the idea of of not grading the the late work, or I shouldn't say not grading, not penalizing the late work with a, a penalty in the grade you know, really honors the fact that the majority of our students, this, being a student here is not their, not their job. That's not their main focus. They have many other things outside of school, as we all know, but I think many of us have been handed down these traditional grading policies that are really built around students as, this is your job being a student, you know, you should be focusing all your time here, and, and, and so, you know, we're going to hold this the, hold your feet to the fire and and have you get these things in on time? Where, you know, as we know, sick children, parents that we need to to um, help. We have got people full time jobs. I mean, all the whole gamut, or just like you said, Paula, people that just need extra time because, you know, our our constraints of our time of um, eight weeks or sixteen weeks that that's not where everybody falls when they when they're learning for sure. Absolutely. So you mentioned um, that student that um, that said they really felt like they were able to graduate because of this. Any other student feedback that you've gotten, um, positive or negative?
1: Yeah, I've gotten really good feedback on not um, scoring or giving points for the formative assessments for the homework. Um, and there was one um, piece of feedback on a survey, I think it was from last winter, that really stood out to me. And the, the student was like, you know, I'm still learning this thing. Why should I be penalized because I, I didn't even know about it a week ago, and now I'm I'm going to get deducted points because I I haven't you know gotten it yet. Um, and his his final statement on it was that you know removing those points was a long view of of learning, and I thought that was really well said. That you know he understood that, and it's really made me um, appreciate our students and that they are thoughtful about all of this stuff. You know, and that they notice when we make changes and we're trying to help them and make make their lives better and help their learning.
2: Yeah, I did um, end of semester feedback surveys, um, and I've only done I made those changes like two semesters ago, so it's not like I have a lot of information. But over, I did ask specifically about the the, the best buy dates versus due dates, and um, I think everybody said that that they appreciated them. And most of them said something along the lines of, I got most of my work in by that Best Buy date, but I really appreciated the flexibility. It reduced my anxiety level, just knowing that if I needed an extra day, I had it. Or um, this other class I was taking was, you know, was a big midterm and I I needed to designate my time in that class. So I was appreciative that I had a little, you know, leeway that way. Um, So I've gotten feedback on on that aspect quite a bit. Um, I did ask about, you know, my syllabus too, and I don't think students really, you know, pay attention to syllabus design all that much, so to speak, but um, they, they they did appreciate that the, the syllabus was not like a, a, a rule book as well. I kind of got that feedback from them as well.
0: So it sounds like you were both very transparent with your students and upfront with them about, I'm trying something out. Like we're gonna be on this journey together. Let me know how things are going. It wasn't. It wasn't something that you were hiding from them by any means.
1: Yeah, not at all. Um, I'm kind of an experimenter. Like I finished my master's in education while I was teaching, and so I was. I'm kind of used to experimenting with my students and and telling them, hey, I'm gonna try this, and it could totally backfire. I'm interested to hear what you think. Um, so yeah, I try to be transparent about it. Um, they know what's going on anyway, right? So I may as well just talk about it. Um, and it's nice to hear from them. You know, I'm, I want to be open to that feedback and hear Like, how is it going in here? What's happening in your other classes? You know, are there things, policies there that you like that should be brought in? So I think starting that conversation makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, I think students really appreciate knowing that you're also learning. You're a human being who's also learning. So um, when you ad- admit that to them, they, they um, definitely interact with you in a different way than if you kind of keep that keep that all to yourself, for sure. So we've talked about things that have gone well. Has there been anything that you've tried that hasn't gone so well, or maybe you want to try, but you're really struggling with how to figure out how to implement that, or you're thinking it's going to take a lot more time to figure
2: out? I, I can say that f- my approach is I'm a planner. I like to have everything planned out, um, I want to know <laughs> that it's going to work well. So um, I'm scared of doing more experimental type things. So it was a little bit hard for me to change some of these practices. And um, so I think a lot of things that were holding me back was just fear of making changes and the fact that it may not go well, right? How, do I, how handling that would go? And I think we just touched on the honesty factor. Um, students are really appreciative of just being completely transparent of what you're doing. And the other thing is is time because it has taken time to look at some of these practices and think about how it's going to affect the students um, and then having a backup plan if it doesn't go so well. Um, it's a lot easier just to continue to do what you've been doing. Um, and so, yeah, it takes time and commitment and effort to make those changes and then be willing to shift. Um, so I think time, a little bit of fear has been included in that. Um, And where I want to go is I think I want to explore removing points. I'm still addicted to points because um, I haven't been able to pull the rug out of that yet. And I think there's going to be, there would be so much freedom in removing points from at least formative assessments um, and allowing that feedback just to speak for itself and uh, that to provide kind of the goalposts that the student needs like Paula's doing. I haven't gotten there yet. Um, but that's kind of what direction i want to I want to go in the future,
1: yeah, and, and as I mentioned earlier, I'm kind of an experimenter. I'm like,, oh, what can go wrong in one semester? Like, I'm not going to damage anyone too bad. You know? <laughs> and so um but but things have not gone well always with this journey. So early on, so I'm currently at, as we talked about this e m r and n kind of, Um, rating on different assignments, everything actually that they do. That's how I provide feedback now. But before that, I tried the zero to four scale, which the book talks about. And so I wasn't, I wasn't using points towards the final grade, but I wanted to communicate in some way where the student was um, with a given assessment. So on their homework, I would use zero to four, which is very much like the EMRN. A zero is a, wasn't done. A one meant uh, you kind of started it, but you're not there yet. A two was like, you're almost there. You just need a couple tweaks. Three was like, boom, you got it. Four was, wow, you went way above and beyond. But what I found myself doing was sweating this detail of, is it a 2.5 (laughs) is it I couldn't just give the whole number I I was like no it's in between and so for me that just didn't work because I was still really almost using a hundred point scale right I still had all these gradients in between the numbers and so I threw that out it just it didn't work I think it worked okay for the students because it was communicating the same stuff to them but it didn't work well for me because I was still spending all this time worrying about numbers and I just wanted to focus on the feedback so I tossed that out after a semester because it just it wasn't it wasn't accomplishing the goal, which was I just wanted them to have a good gut feel of like where they're at with this assignment, what they need to do better. Um, and then this summer I tried portfolio grading, so kind of a proficiency based grading. So take a look at the outcomes for the course, and then where are the students at with regard to those outcomes. And I called it portfolio grading, which. Is scary. Like, I think it scared the heck out of the students because now they're like, wait a minute, now I'm taking a 16 week course that you've packed down into eight weeks. You haven't pulled out any assignments. You're making me do the same amount of stuff. And now I have to create a portfolio. Like, that sounds scary. And so I was nervous about it and I, I put into the syllabus that the students had an option. They could opt for traditional grading, which was points on the summative assessments, or they could do the portfolio grading. So, or you know, the portfolio option. So you might guess that at the end of the semester, I had one student who actually filled out the portfolio. So I'd put, you know, all this time and effort in this big portfolio, and you need to provide evidence of how you hit the mark, and it just was way, way too much. Um, so I'm glad that I gave another option, and so that was that bombed. Um, and now I've renamed that self evaluations, and I've made it much simpler. So it's just kind of a check, like. Where do you think you are within, you know, this, are you meeting the expectations on a given outcome? And so I'm using that this semester, and so far it's going well. I've had students kind of practice with that at the six-week mark in one course and the eight-week mark in another course, and um, the the response has been good. I didn't make it optional, so they're they're working on it, and it gives us a way to communicate about kind of where they are um, in the course at, at a given time with regard to those outcomes, so... I, I, I'm hoping this, this might be closer to something that works. I'm not there yet for sure.
0: Well, thanks for thanks for sharing that. that those uh, highs and lows there, because that, that's that's exactly what will happen. And I don't know about you, but I mean, I've had those things happen when I've tried to tweak my traditional grading. So sometimes I think we think, "Gosh, I'm going to try this new thing that that may not work." And and you know, I, I'm ex- I'm we've used the word experimenting, but. I don't know about you, but I feel like I've experimented before just with my weighting of grades and other things. And and that's what brought me to the table on this topic was I just never felt like I quite got it right. And so, you know, this brought in a different lens of maybe why that was. But you you also touched on, um, you know, it wasn't working for you. And, you know, in, in the world that we're in, pre-pandemic, but also pandemic and hopefully coming on post-pandemic here, you know, we're we're facing instructor burnout, mental health issues, you know, workload. We're all taking on more. The students have more, so the you know we as instructors are taking on um, their concerns even more. And one thing that I've heard is, you know, how do I balance these things? Because I feel like, you know maybe taking in late work or um, changing my evaluation system. These things are going to take me so much more time. Can you speak to that a little bit if you've found that to be true or how you've managed that?
2: Yeah, um, I guess for me, I valued these changes high enough that I wanted to spend the time to do it. So it was a priority in in the way in which I was grading because it was fulfilling to me to be able to build connections with my students and to provide grades that were accurate, non-biased, and motivational, right? So that was like a high priority to me. So um, doing it all at once um, would be too much. And so I took small pieces. And that's why I think Paul and I both started with the late punditly because it was an easy change. And then I'm just slowly starting to think about other pieces that I can do and I'm learning as I go. Um, So it's frustrating in a way because I want to make all the changes all at once, but um, going slow allows for me to kind of breathe in between the changes too and not feel like I have to get it perfect all at once because I don't think I came into this profession thinking I'd have curriculum and it'd be perfect and I would just teach it every year and I'm realizing like that's not the case. (laughs) It changes (laughs) every semester and I'm always tweaking and that's the same thing with this is that I'm finding that there's different or better ways that work for me. And sometimes it's a specific way that works better for a particular class, because I'm also listening to my students and what works for them. Like Paula gave the option of that portfolio or traditional grading system, and what worked for those students might not have worked for other students. Um, And the type of class that we teach, too. I mean... We talk about removing points and, and stuff like that. That could not work for some classes that have to follow a particular framework um, for other certification type or testing reasons too. Absolutely. Anything you want to add
0: to
1: that, Paula? Yeah, I, I think um, you know I think again a big concern with some of this is like it, how is it going to change my workload? Um, and I think you know when you when you change something like the self evaluations, there was definitely work that I had to put into to thinking about that. Um, but in terms of like the redos and the late penalty and the no points for, for formative assessments, I can't say that that's really affected how much time I'm putting in. And in fact, I feel less pressure related to, to grading or giving feedback. And I think part of it is, you know, it used to be I had that due date at, I have a nine o'clock on Sunday night due date, right, or due time. That stuff would come in some of it wouldn't be very good quality because students were clearly rushing right it was submitted at eight fifty nine. <laughs> you know those submissions are not going to look great um, and so then monday i would spend my time providing feedback on that and those late later submissions i had to write a lot of feedback you know to to get the point through across about what they needed to change um, and so now I'm finding that, that I'm spending less time doing that. So there's maybe a trade-off. I'm not saying, oh, it cut my grading in half or anything like that, but I have noticed that quality is better. And so I think there's a bit of a time savings there. It might not account for every th- the time that I've put into some of the other stuff, but um, I think overall that, it, that it's worth it, but I think to Carrie's point, like you need to, to do it slowly and find time that works for, for a given faculty member. Absolutely.
2: I think the time for me was the planning stage, the planning and the design of the changes. The, the, the course and the time I'm spending actually assessing work, I don't feel like has changed.
1: Carrie's a better planner than I am. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to put this in and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> about it too much and then after the fact I'm like oops now I need to, to revise it so that my time comes later than hers
0: <laughs> well it's good that we have both uh, ends of the spectrum uh, represented here then today definitely because um, you know I think a lot of faculty are on both ends of the spectrum and somewhere in between so that that absolutely makes sense to me um, so I I have been very honored to work with both of you um, through this last year or so um and one of the things that we created together um along with jody cooper was our equitable grading foundation course a uh, self-paced course that um, has been offered in the fall semester of um uh, 22 here for the first time and um so far so good the the jury's out on the on the feedback that we'll get from that but um the the next step of this for for us is the grading practices academy which um is really going to be, I think, a, a, a nice way to bridge this idea of how do we actually apply this information to our classes and get some support around it. Um, and both of you are going to to join us on, on that journey as well. Um, and the faculty that participate in that academy are going to be able to take kind of deeper dives into the different aspects of grading that they want to implement and then get some supportive help through it. So I'm really looking forward to helping to facilitate that. Um, Are there aspects of your own grading that you want to look into um, during that process as kind of facilitators and slash participants?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, the proficiency-based grading is something that I'm just starting to to dip my toe in the water Um, with, you know, the failed portfolios (laughs) this summer and the slightly better self-evaluations now. I think I want to keep keep heading down that path and trying to figure out what that looks like. So I think for, for me being part of that Academy is something that I'm going to try to work on during that time as well. Absolutely.
2: Your- yeah. I, th- I think I'm, I'm slowly moving into the, the no, like I said, the no points for formative assessment. So that's something I, I want to look at. And I've been um, reading a lot about creating a culture of feedback or community of feedback. And so kind of setting up the the course structure. And so there is this ongoing communication and feedback um, with the students from beginning to end about. Um, so it feels like more of a community and um it's not me just dictating this is the, the material. it's it's really collaborative so I'm looking looking at that as well. Awesome.
0: So before I get to my my last question, is there anything that I missed that you wanted to share about your journey so far? any nuggets of wisdom that you would share with with other faculty who want to want to go down this path? Did I miss anything
1: from the great experimenter? just give it a try. That's My, <laughs> uh, my advice there.
2: I feel like I've gotten to know students better by going through this process because I, the grading um, has become much more personal and not so sterile, not just an assignment of a, of a number that is representative of stuff. I'm actually diving deep into their learning process and their thinking, and I'm getting to know how they learn um, better. That's great.
0: So if you had something, and it could be related to this or could be related to anything that you do in your teaching practice, um, my slice of knowledge segment here, is there something that you would want to share with others that they might not know about that they could try um, in their teaching practice pretty re- readily So, I- or a resource or anything?
2: I'm a big... Uh- tool person. Yeah, I love trying. If not, Paula's nodding like she's like, I knew she was going to go here, but <laughs> I've uh, recently, probably for the last year now, I've been using a platform called Notion um, and it's free for educators. And um, I use it to keep kind of a, a log on my communications with my students because Unfortunately, Blackboard just doesn't do a really good job of keeping uh, a log of even the feedback that you've given on each assignment. Trying to go back uh, into week three's assignment is (laughs) twenty-five clicks away, right? And so, um, in this particular application, I can have a page for each student, and I can keep track of like um, my communications. You know, I wrote an email for this, and we talked about this, and, and that's kind of like my my source of truth on students so then I can remember who that student is because honestly there are days where I I can't remember everybody, what we talked about, and so that's been really helpful for me. The other thing I've been um, doing is uh, more self-care, turning off my day, Um, Around five o'clock. I'll still jump online at seven o'clock because I know there's a student that I can help for just five minutes. But I'm trying to really, you know, kind of turn off the work vibe so I'm not like on call 24 7. Um, And related to that is I'm having a, a scheduled grading period. I am grading on Mondays from such and such to such and such date so I don't feel like I'm constantly catching up. It's like, this is my time. This is what I get done. Um, Sometimes it goes longer or not, but um, that's kind of helped create somewhat of a balance in my grading and personal life. (laughs) Yeah, that's really important. So
0: thank you. And Notion, we'll make sure we get the website link for that and put it in the show notes. How about you, Paula?
1: Um, I've, I've got two. The first one is just asking questions. I think, you know, when students come to us with a problem, at least in, in our discipline we're problem solvers, right? And you can like you can see the problem and you kinda want to just tell them and fix it. And I've I've really tried in the last couple of years to to slow that down and ask them questions to to understand where they are, right? Where is their misunderstanding? So I think just ask questions, um, maybe of yourself also, you know, why are you why is this assignment here? Um, what, what is this assessment doing? Um, so questioning ourselves and also questioning our students. Um, and g- using those questions to get to know them as well. Um, the second thing is, like, find a buddy. Um, I think that's something that, that I've found during the pandemic that's been really important is connecting with colleagues and talking about all this stuff, right? Like, whether it's a book club or just running curriculum past somebody else, Um I think oftentimes, at least I have worked in a silo and i it's so much better when you, when you're collaborating. So, um, I think the foundations course really demonstrated that, that we worked on together earlier this year. Um, and just having a colleague or two that you can really kind of count on and, and talk to is really key. So find that buddy that
0: you could, you can connect with. That's great advice. Thank you. Yeah, that's, something that we all need is is somebody to bounce those ideas off of we're definitely better better as a community than than alone so thank you well thank you so much for your time today I appreciate you coming in and uh, being a part of the pie podcast and those slices of pie will be in the mail no maybe no. not not the <laughs> mail we'll have to get together and have pie some other time so I'll be there all right sounds good thank you so much thank you Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of the CETL Pie podcast. Please spread the word about this podcast and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you have topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes or other feedback, connect with me by email at cetl at madisoncollege.edu. I look forward to you joining us next time to peek into excellence with CETL.